you know, um, you got to realize something, and, and a lot of you probably do realize this already, but, you know, when I'm preparing a sermon, like, it gets, it gets preached to me first, you know, and uh, i got to admit, there, there's just a, there's a little piece of something I didn't really get of how, how this applied to me specifically in my situation currently until this morning during our prayer time, and it dawned on me. A lot of you may know that uh, I've been without a car for a little while. Well, not true. I've, I've been able to borrow a car. But uh, my car blew up, and I thought it was going to last forever. And I was like, man, I was, I was counting on that. I was counting on that. And there's something that I've kind of learned in the process is, you know, God sort of telling me, oh, why don't you count on me? You know, it really shook me up, this, this car breaking down. I was expecting a lot more out of this. And uh, really, really bothered me, nagged at me for a while. And um, in sort of this process, I've just seen, I've been reminded by friends, uh, fellow ministers and other, other men that I have, thankfully, speaking into my life, just reminded me, like, God's got you. Like, he, he knows. He doesn't, he doesn't not care about the situation. And I was reminded, this is a small thing. This is, this is a big thing for me. It's a small thing for him. It's not something he's unable to do. And praise the Lord, Lord willing, I, I will be picking up a car tomorrow that I found. Praise the Lord. Really excited about that. And it's like, it's just right. And I can see ways where like doors closed on other opportunities, even people where I was like, that's the one, that's the one I'm excited about this one. And I messaged the guy three, four times and he never gets back to me. But in God's providence, I've, I've landed on something so much better. So I think you'll see some of that come out in the sermon this morning. I hope you do. Uh, and I hope it's, hope it's not too late. Um, I'm thankful it wasn't too late for me to be able to share that with you this morning, that that kind of dawned on me during our prayer time. But we're looking at the faith of the people in Jericho. We talked about the Red Sea last week, we're talking about Jericho this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, this, this hall of faith, seeing these examples of the faith of Lord's people, even in desperate times. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're reading just one verse this morning. We'll be taking a trip back into the Old Testament to see uh, what was happening there. But join me in reading God's word at Hebrews 11, chapter 30, where it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. It's the word of the Lord. Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word abides forever. Make it clear to your people this morning, Lord, as I preach. I pray, Lord, you would be pleased to use me, a fallible and finite man, to communicate eternal truths from your errant and infallible word. Build us up as the body of Christ, Lord, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, as your word tells us. We trust in you to do that, not in men, not in traditions of men, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Bless your people now as we draw near to you in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so at this point in time that, that the author of Hebrews is pointing back to, God's people have not just crossed the Red Sea, they've crossed the Jordan back into the land of promise. We saw last week when they left Egypt and came to what they thought was a dead end, and God showed them three important things there that we looked at that they needed to understand in order for them to have faith and trust in him. 
We said then that where God leads us, God grows us. And where God leads us, God lights us. And that where God leads us, God defends us. And all of that happened at the Red Sea. He brought them to that dead end on purpose. He brought them to that dead end to increase their faith, to prove himself again reliable and trustworthy, that he keeps his promises to his people. He guided them through all the way. He lit the way, right, when they couldn't see anything else. What they could see was that light, that pillar of light that was up ahead leading them. And they knew that wherever the light was was better than where the light wasn't. And so they kept following. And God defended them from their enemies, swallowed them up in the sea. And so God got the glory in delivering his people, their faith being increased, and he got the glory in the destruction of the Egyptians, of his people's enemies. And so what's in view in all of that, as the author of Hebrews wants his audience to see, is the faith of his people then. That in times of great uncertainty, like the Hebrews find themselves in, when your faith is being tested, the only thing that makes sense is to keep going, to keep following Christ, because anywhere he is is better than where he isn't. Now, here's the deal. Where we are in verse 30, the author has fast-forwarded from that, from God's people crossing out of Egypt now to God's people crossing into the land of promise. And what are they immediately met with? Another impossible obstacle. A beast of a fortified city called Jericho. They're supposed to be coming into this land flowing with milk and honey. They've been looking forward to this. It's going to be great and wonderful. And then they realize, they get there, and they're not the first ones there. There's people already there, bigger and stronger than them, with high walls and, and great defenses and security. And, you know, you think, man, haven't these people been through enough? Slaves in Egypt wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Haven't these people had enough? And the answer is no. They haven't. They have not been through enough because God's people require faith. And what God requires, God gives. And the way he often gives it is to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our reasoning, to the end of our ability, to the end of our wits even. And then he shows us what we all need to be convinced of this morning and next week, and every day that we draw breath until he takes us home, that God is God and we are not. You want to know God? Really know him? You want to draw near to him and enjoy deeper communion in relationship with him? Start there. He is God and you are not. Until we learn that lesson, we're just, we're just playing dress up and just playing at religion. We're only thinking stuff about God, stuff that may be true. But to know him, we have to come face to face with our inadequacy, with our inability, and our utter reliance upon him. That he is God and we are not. And to be able to rest in that, that's hard. But that's faith. That's how faith is grown. 
That's what God did when he brought his people out of Egypt. It's what he does again when he brought his people into the promised land. So now, for us to get a little flavor of this, we have to go back to the book of Joshua. We're going to skip around in there a little. And what we're going to see is what the author of Hebrews wants his audience to see, and that's that God cares for his people. He's present with his people. He cares for his people. When he does these amazing things, when he performs all these wonderful miracles and gets them out of these snags that they find themselves in, he demonstrates his care and his concern for his people in the midst of the trial. You know, he doesn't just wave a magic wand over everything and make it go away. He brings his people through the trial, and when he does, here's what he does. He does three things. He reminds, he reveals, and he reassures. If you're taking notes, you can write those down. Before he removes the obstacle, in this case Jericho, he reminds them of his covenant promise to them. He reveals himself and his plan, which he invites them to participate in. And he reassures them that he really does mean to keep his promises to them, and he's powerful enough to do it. He demonstrates that, no matter what stands in their way. Now, all those things are there in Joshua, okay, as we'll see. And the author of Hebrews is counting on his audience to capture that, that God cares for his people in the midst of trials, even when their faith is shaken up. When that happens, when our faith is shaken up, we find ourselves on uncertain times. We don't, we don't run away. We don't turn back. We don't give up. We're reminded of his promises. We look to his word for revelation and understand that he has a, a plan for us and he reassures us that he can be trusted when he brings us through to the other end of whatever it is that we're facing. So let's consider the first point. He reminds us of his covenant promise to us because that's the first thing we need to remember what we need when we start to get a little wobbly in our faith, when we start to get a little weak in the knees like the Hebrews were. We need reminding that God is who he says he is, and this is what he has said. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Reminds us of his covenant. So let's flip to Joshua chapter 3. Like I said, we're going to bounce around a little bit here. But starting in chapter 3, we see Israel crossing the Jordan. And it sure looks a lot like what we found when they crossed the Red Sea. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. God says, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. We learn in verse 15 that the Jordan has a season when all of its banks overflow. It's, it's, just, it's just flooded. It's flood season. It's rainy season. It's as high as it ever gets. And that's when the Lord brings them through, when they're supposed to be crossing it. And verse 16 says, The waters did indeed stand up in one heap. And the next verse, verse 17 says, Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Sounds familiar, right? If you were here last week, we read that in Exodus 14. The sea wasn't just parted. They crossed over on dry ground. And it's the same thing here. You know, it's there. It's like, 
man, that's just a, a really evergreen part that God chose to put in there, right? Just in case some smarty pants came around 3,000 years later and was like, yeah, they crossed over, but you know, it was a drought. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Flood season, banks were overflowing. Yeah, but you know, it must, must have been some obstruction that created a dam. That cre- no, dry ground. It was dry ground. It was clear. It was apparent to everyone. There's no mistake about it. This is something that God himself did. There is no natural explanation. God did it. Dry ground. Don't forget that. Be reminded. God's people crossed over on dry ground. And then what does God do next? He tells us in Joshua chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. He continues there, that this may be a sign among you. He says, if you look down a couple in verse 6, when your children ask, in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God reminds his people of his covenant faithfulness. He wants that embedded in our memories. And they were going to need that reminder because tough things lie ahead. Right? After this celebration, after this triumph, they got another obstacle coming as soon as they come up on Jericho. So here's another reminder he gives them as he prepares them for what they're, what's about to go down in Jericho when they meet another insurmountable obstacle. In chapter 5, still in Joshua, in chapter 5, we see the covenant sign of circumcision given. Because they hadn't been circumcised. That reminder, that covenant sign and seal had not been given to them. The ones who left Egypt, it had been given to them, but these aren't the same people, right? The the people that, that left out of Egypt, that had been circumcised before they came out of Egypt, they all died off. These aren't the same people that are now coming into Canaan. Read read chapter uh, Joshua 4, verse 5, starting there. It says, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now, what better way... For to, to, to remind these people that they are the Lord's than to give them the sign that he had given their father Abraham. To remind them that they're not just out there somewhere. They have been set apart, engaged to be the Lord's. He reminds them of his covenant promises by giving them the sign of the covenant. And if that wasn't enough, he gives them another. Remember the Passover? We talked about that last week. They did it in Egypt before they left Egypt. They did it again just before they left Sinai when they received the law. But they hadn't done it since. Hadn't done it since. But now, as they're coming into what God has said belongs to them, 
Even though it seems impossible and too good to be true, when their faith is tested in a time of uncertainty, God reminds them, you belong to me and I will fight for you. Here's the signs and the seals. Be reminded this morning, Christian, of the signs and seals of God's covenant with you. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are not empty traditions. These are not empty rituals. We reflect on them and we are reminded of God's promises to us. They are things God has always intended as a means of grace for us, that we would grow in our faith and that we would trust in him all the more. So the first thing God does is he reminds his people who he is, what he's done for them, and he reminds them of who they are. He reminds them of his covenant with them and his promises to them, all of which he's kept so far. The next, next thing he does is he reveals himself to them and his plan for them. So look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Reveals himself and his plan. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him, said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And this hits you especially hard if you remember the burning bush when, when God met with Moses. Who was it that, that met with Moses there? The Lord. And what did he say to Moses then? Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. That's what the Lord said to Joshua. He met with Joshua, revealed himself. And he, he describes himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua is the commander of the army of Israel. But now he's meeting with the commander of the army of the Lord. That's who's about to go to battle for Israel. Now, it's especially comforting because Joshua can see Jericho in the distance. What he saw was not comforting. It was shut up inside and outside, we read. No one could come in, no one could go out. Chapter 6, verse 1 says that. None went in, none came out. So what you get here, the city is on lockdown, okay? They're on high alert. They know Israel's out there. They've heard the rumors. They know what just went down in Egypt. And they're like, man, coming in here? No one going in, no one coming out. We're on lockdown. So Joshua, the commander of Israel's army, can't be feeling so sure at the moment that this is all going to go the way that it should or that he's expecting it to or that he's been told it would. But he's looking at his circumstances, right, as he's looking out on Jericho. He's seeing his obstacle in front of him. And who is standing between Joshua and his circumstances? The Lord. Who's made it clear he's in charge here? The Lord. Who's the commander? The Lord. Of which army? The Lord's. 
Before God reveals his plan, he reveals himself. And here's what he says to Joshua in verse 2. See. Joshua's been doing that. He's been a looking and a seeing. And he doesn't like what he sees. It doesn't look good. But God says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. That's not what Joshua saw. But he believed it. Believed it was a done deal because God revealed it to him. God said so. That's faith. And that kind of faith, that brand of faith that we've been talking about since we've been in Hebrews 11, that faith leads to obedience. Joshua followed the instructions God so graciously revealed to him and invited him into participation in, in the outworking of his plan. His faith led to obedience. Accepting God's plan invites God's presence. You want to see God at work in your life and know that the Holy Spirit is with you, he's, he's working in you? Take what you know God has revealed to you, not what he hasn't. Take what you know God has revealed to you and accept it. Accept the word of God as the word of God. Treat it as the word of God. Value it, cherish it. Read it, understand it, store it up in you, and accept it. If you do that, you will know God's presence is with you. He means for you to know that. He means to be found where he says he can be found. He reveals himself to his people. Joshua receives plans next, fit for his occasion, although they may not have appeared that way. The Lord tells him, tell Israel to march around the city once a day for six days. That's, that's, that's God's prescription. You got a problem? Here's the medicine. Once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times and have seven priests blow seven trumpets. When everybody hears the trumpets, tell them to shout and the walls will fall down. Be honest, y'all. You're not, you're not somewhere scratching up plan B. That's what God said. That's what they did. Faith leads to obedience. And after that seventh lap on the seventh day when the priests blew their trumpets, Joshua said, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I mean, what else are you going to do? Seems impossible, doesn't it? But what else are you going to do? As silly as you've looked, marching around this city, getting laughed at from people on the high towers, watching you just march around like ants around them. Well, God, I guess, you know, this is what you said, and so I'm, I'm going to shout. What else are you going to do? So they shout. The walls fall. Done deal. God's people needed a plan. Didn't have one, right? Jericho was impenetrable. So what God did is he gave them a plan. But more than that, what they needed was faith. And God gave them that too. He comforted them in the midst of their trial when things didn't look so good. When he knew they'd be hesitant to continue in the direction that God had called them to. He was faithful and met them where they were and brought them through. And that's what we need to hear this morning. 
that God does that, that God still does that, that he reveals himself to us. And when we see him more clearly in his word, we see the way forward more clearly, even, if, even when it's hard, even when there is some fuzziness left. That's what the author of Hebrews wants these first, first century Christians to see. The next thing and the third point is that God reassures his people of his promises and that we can trust him. Our verse in Hebrews this morning says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Well, when the dust settled, wouldn't they have felt reassured? God reminded them, look, you're my covenant people. Stack some stones from the river so your children's children remember. Take the sign of my covenant, circumcision. Eat the Passover meal. Be reminded. Then, when they don't see a way forward, he reveals himself and he gives them instructions how to persevere. He meets them every step of the way and he comforts them, prepares them for what lies ahead meets them in it while they're in it, and then allows them to rest in what he accomplished. Reassuring us he really is worthy of our trust and devotion after all. He doesn't leave a little cliffhanger. He reassures us. What that should communicate to us, y'all, is we should be living like victors and not victims in the world. If we're convinced that God is in control and has made promises to his people and keeps them, then how can we ever go around like whipped little puppy dogs hanging our heads with our tail tucked between our legs? That's not the way God's people are meant to live. We are not to be proud and, and haughty either. But we are supposed to trust in the name of the Lord. We're supposed to believe that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that he is our rock, that he is our fortress, our deliverer, and our strength. You know, it's no, it's no good walking around like we don't have any strength. Or that strength has not been offered to us, that we're just out here taking our lumps until we die. No, we're the ones with a hope and a future. Do you realize that? The wicked do not inherit the earth. The righteous do, God says. The enemies of God don't win. Christ does. If we believe that, if we have faith in Christ, even though we go through trials and suffering, we have to ultimately find ourselves in a place of rest and of comfort and of peace. And you say, but how, why, why? Why should we do that? How is that even possible? And here's why, because the ultimate communication of God's reassurance to us, the greatest resolve to conflict in the world has been accomplished when Christ breathed his last on the cross. At that moment, the wrath of God was satisfied. And the, the undoing of Satan's work took off in a direction that ends with peace among men. And God being pleased to dwell with man again for all of eternity. Peace with God. Peace in the land. We are the ones with a hope and a future. We can rest assured that because Christ accomplished redemption for us. 
You think about that, y'all. Our greatest enemy, our greatest threat, our biggest problem was God Almighty himself. That's been taken away for those who have believed on the name of Jesus. If there ever was a wall that needed to fall down, it was the one that separated us from God for all of eternity. The wall that stood representing judgment over us for our sins. The wall where on that side there was peace and reconciliation and blessing with God, but on this side there's nothing but unquenchable fire of God's wrath. The Israelites at Jericho were reassured when the dust settled at Jericho, reassured God fights for his people, that the obstacle that stood between them and the rest God promised them had been removed, just as he said it would be. These first century Christian Hebrews is written to were to be reassured the dust had settled for them at the cross, as it has been for us. That God had already brought down the wall of sin and separation and brought them into the rest that they so sorely needed. That God himself had already solved their biggest problem. And that he still does, just as he always has done, he comforts his people. Meets us where we are, even when life's a mess. He reminds us of his covenant with us. He's graciously chosen to reveal himself to us and his will for us in his word. He meets his people there. And he reassures us righteousness is ours by faith in Christ and that the best in this life is never behind us. It's never right in front of us. It's in front of him. It's in front of him in his presence and we are welcomed there. Through the blood of Christ who makes intercession for us today. For all the tomorrowing that our minds do and should do. We should be waiting expectantly for our reward in heaven. But for all of the thoughts of tomorrow, we should recognize that we belong to the Lord today. He has made himself known to us through his word and by his spirit today. In this very hour since we've been sitting here together this morning. And we can be reassured today that victory is ours because of the cross. That fans the flame of faith and keeps the fire going. That's what we need to persevere to the end like the author of Hebrews says we should, to keep going, to keep striving. Being assured God is with us, he is for us, and he will not let us go. So keep going, keep up the good fight, and be assured you're not just fighting for victory, y'all. Catch this, you're not just fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. Just as sure as God said to Joshua, see, I'm, I'm looking. I've already done it. Do you believe that this morning? That he's already done it. You're not just fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory because Christ has already triumphed over sin, the devil, and death. And he has said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Praise the Lord, God is God and we are not then, 
right? Amen. We might have done it a little differently, but it wouldn't be as good. God knows what he's doing. He cares for his people. He has made promises to us. He makes himself known to us. And he reassures us time and again that he can be trusted. What more do you need? Stay the course. Endure. Persevere. Prove yourself faithful. It is always worth it. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you that when we come to you, when we look for you in your word, we always find you faithful. First of all, that we find you, that you are not far off. But when we find you, we find that you are always faithful. So I pray, Lord, you would, you would motivate us to come to you in your word and find you there more often. That as we do, we would be reminded of your promises. That we would believe what is true about you and about ourselves and about the situations we find ourselves in. And that we would know your peace and be reassured you are in control and your ways are righteous and good. Fill your people with hope and a deep satisfaction in what has already been accomplished for us by your Son. And Lord, let us carry that into this week and sustain us until we gather here again next week and enjoy fellowship around your table, partaking of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together, proclaiming the death of sin and the death of Christ until he comes again. In Jesus' holy name, amen.